1841, England. A Victorian tyrant lives in her castle and is obsessed with beautiful lacework, as per the ancient custom. She conscripts a coterie of small children to be trained in the art of lace making. Day in, day out, they make the lace for her in the basement, a veritable lace dungeon. Pin cushions and looms sit next to thumb screws and the rack. The girls never have time off, not even on Catherine's day. She surrounds herself with increasingly intricate lacework, draping herself in it, running it over her face, eyes closed, standing naked before the morning sun pouring through the stone slit windows, wrapped only in the finest lace. Lace made by the abuse and conscription of children. If a lace child did not keep up the necessary speed in lace making, the tyrant would bind her eyes and ears, put pins in her feet, and she had to keep making the lace in the dark, immobile. If a lace child performed her duties with speed and quality, she may sit by the window, and she may have a cookie, one per week, and she may have the tea dregs, but never shall she stop making the lace. The tyrant's husband was a blovating dandy, obsessed with Egyptian esoteric and occult practices. He was a member of the Golden Dawn, the Hyboreal Kingdom, and the Edolic Order of the Twelve Flames. He spent most of his time decanting drugs in his castle laboratory. He was already an addict of the drugs that removed him from this mortal plane. Another drug made him speak very fast, and one drug made him see things only half there, and one drug made him so sensitive that he could hear you speaking in the garden from the top of the castle. One day, the tyrant received the latest batch of lace from below, and she pulled it out of the box to let it drape across her face and body in her usual ritual. She disrobed to pull the fastest lace across her skin. But one of the girls, one who had fallen far behind, the one who was most abused and harangued, the one who was most rebellious, the one who sat in the corner with her eyes and feet bound, the one kept furthest from the fresh air, had used her punished hands flitting across the lace pillow with a sightless technique born on the back of passionate hatred for her tormentor. A technique from deep in her bones, she felt the hands of her mother and grandmother, long dead, guiding her in the darkness. This girl wove into the lace a series of rusted shavings that she had pulled from her own boots, bound in the lace in the form of a seven-pointed star, a symbol she remembered from her father's vestments. She remembered when he came dressed for battle to retrieve her, when the tyrant's magistrate had taken her from the storehouse. She remembered how angry her father was and the cursed look in his eyes when the tyrant's men had struck him down. Her hands had woven these rusted shards into the family pattern, a curse to be applied directly to the tyrant's skin. As the tyrant pulled the lace across her body, the shards embedded in her skin at seven points, forming the heptagram of familial revenge, and she felt the fetid poison of rust and offal enter her. She was enraged. The tyrant grabbed up her golden whip and rushed to the dungeon workshop. She flayed the little girl brutally, but she was arrogant, crazed, crazed with the idea that her skin had been defiled and that the lace 
the lace had been turned against her. So in between strikes of the whip, she got close to the bound little girl to gloat and spit upon her. And in that moment, the little girl saw her chance. She pulled out a needle she had dipped in rat blood, a rat she had found in the darkness. One that had come to her, whispered to her of revenge, and died of explosive pustules. The tyrant was shocked to be struck so, her skin further violated, her lace marred by spreading blood. She yelped and whimpered suddenly like an animal and ran back to her tower. Over the next few nights, she wrapped more and more lace around her to cover the encroaching pustules that began to consume her. The tumors were painful, a pain only abated by a covering of lace. Covered in lace. Covered in lace. She added more lace as the pain and deformation increased. Forever bound in lace. Forever bound in lace. Her husband heard her skin from the garden. It was so loud. And he found her in her lace tower. He had just taken several massive doses of a new concoction of his drugs via an electrical and steam-powered drug alchemy throne machine of his own design. He could now see auras and smell time. He found her covered in her lace and her body underneath marred with oozing pustules. To him, she looked like a pharaoh ready for the sarcophagus, like the one he had seen while in Egypt while he was robbing the graves of kings. He looked through space and time, and he knew what to do. He took her into his laboratory, placed her on his throne, and removed her organs according to the old rites, rites that were not his. And so he perverted them horribly, and he mummified her in her lace. And so the tyrant was transported through time cursed by those she had tormented and doomed to return a mummy wrapped in lace. It seemed impossible that something like that was now in a pine box in the back of a Toyota Tacoma in Niagara Falls, New York. Grace stood in the motel parking lot and turned the instructions over in her hand, checking to see if she had missed something. The box had shown up in a Lake Ontario port, and she had received the strange, slightly oily manila folder, emblazoned with a heraldic crest of a seven-headed dragon clutching a pincushion wrapped around a shield. She had received it at the headquarters of her Task Rabbit knockoff temp job, WizGigs. Grace was also confused as to why the whole story was written on the shipping receipt or why it was important to rent the pine box a room at this particular Niagara motel, or why it was important to hang a single scrap of lace across the window of the motel room before leaving the box. Oh well, Grace thought as she quickly moved to stop her own questioning and curious mind. Just do this job and go home. Complete the instructions and clock out. Do your shift report and go home, Grace. She felt it was important to not get obsessed with the details of the jobs that came through the teal and purple WizGigs app, 
least she waste any more of her time. It was crazy to receive a real manila folder on a WizGigs job, instead of the usual 3,000 or so short text message instructions via the app. This job didn't pay well enough to get worked up over who set up all these instructions, or who was waiting to dig up the motel key she was supposed to... What was it again? Bury in a jar? In front of the Cheektawaga Rock Burger? Or get too worked up over whose black handprints were all over the pine box when it came out of the shipping container in Hamilton? She didn't want to know. She only read the story because, at first, it looked like it was part of the instructions. She found she couldn't stop reading, and this was already asking more of her than most WizGig things did. Unfortunately, now she knew that there was apparently a lace mummy in the pine box. Grace fished in the folder to find the other strange item that came as part of this job. A single golden coin. What? Put it in the machine at the front desk? Fine. Grace looked for the front desk of the old ratty motel with the melted sign. It looked like no one was around, yet there were fuzzy lights on in some of the rooms. Just a suggestion of people. A completely hollowed out presence. She found and entered the small dusty lobby. There at the counter, where by all rights there should be an old man ready to give you a leer and a dirty key, was instead a drab, bulbous machine made of brass, festooned with knobs, slots, and a dish. It had the vague outline of a corpulent Buddha statue. The large, cylindrical glass flask attached to the top seemed to house a series of gears and zigzag bulb filaments. There was a number of slots that appeared to take many different coins. There was a slot for loonies, and a slot for quarters, and other larger slots for coins she couldn't quite recognize. She held the golden coin up to each until she found the appropriately sized one and shoved it in. The machine gave a craggy click and the gears visible in the glass bulb turned. Orange light flared from within, giving off the smell of beef tallow and cloves. A key clattered into the bowl attached to the desk. When Grace picked it up, she noticed that there was a small scrap of lace attached to it. So, put the lace mummy in the lace room. Okay, Grace mumbled to herself. She didn't want to know. She was just going to load the box into whatever room and not think about how it apparently contained the corpse of a tortured Victorian tyrant wrapped in French Alencon, Swiss Entredu, and Chantilly. She was going to go home and not think about the old lace-covered hands brandishing the golden whip or the alchemical clouds seething from a beating, glowing purple heart, or the lace tendrils that moved like vines in the dark. She was going to go bury the key at the Rock Burger, eat the Cheesecake Wonder, and pass out. And she would never consciously think of lace again, even as her fingers sneak in to pet the scrap still in her jacket pocket, dancing across the crocheted weave corporally delighting in the lattice of white knots, as old as the foam of the falls.